This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey everyone, it's Matt Olin. Welcome to the Charlotte is Creative podcast. Um, yeah, we're back. I mean, we we recorded our first one in quite a while last month with our uh, new good friends from Arbridge for Kids. Um, immediately following the Creative Mornings event uh, that month. And here we are now on February 3rd, 2023. Uh, we are sitting in the Gambrell Center at Queens University, immediately following the Creative Mornings uh, Charlotte event uh, on the theme of touch with the one and only Jay Ward, uh, who we are going to dive into some, uh, some conversation with and get to know a little better. But um, Jay, for those of you who uh, maybe haven't heard yet, uh, is the uh, City of Charlotte's inaugural Poet Laureate, uh, which is quite an amazing honor, and, and uh, honestly, just quite an amazing honor for us to call you a collaborator and a friend, Jay. I mean, it's really, it's really incredible, and um, you absolutely had everyone just in the palm of your hand this morning. So thank you for your words and being with us uh, at Creative Mornings this morning. The honor is all mine, and thank you. I appreciate you for allowing me to, to talk and, and spend so much time on the mic and not sending out the hook and bringing out the <laughs> hook with the, you know, with the Apollo music. You know? <laughs> There's, I can't imagine a time and space where I would ever give Jay Ward the <laughs> hook. That is uh, not something I could ever foresee happening. Um, and we're, we'll talk a little bit about your talk uh, in a little bit here, um, uh, but uh, it was just it was just a remarkable experience to be with you. And, and you know, I met you back in 2018. Uh, Manoj from Boom yeah. from Chaos uh, connected yeah. us. Uh, you had just performed at Boom, I think, for the first time. For the first time, yeah. right? And then you and I sat down for a cup of coffee, and I just knew right away, like this was someone I wanted to get in the sandbox with. I, you know, Tim and I were were absolutely dead set on collaborating with you, stirring up trouble with you, having fun with you. And uh, I'm happy to say that we've kind of done that over oh, the years. Oh, we've definitely done that. We've definitely done that. It's been it's been great for me. Like the partnership from my side has been wonderful. So I'm, I'm always looking to try to help and, and give back and work with you all in any way possible. It's been a great ride. Well, we feel the same way. And uh, so here's to more of that. Absolutely. Uh, if I had my coffee right now, I'd cheers you. But I don't have my coffee right now. You have, you have some water. Yeah, no, there you go. Air cheers. <laughs> air cheers. All right. So what we normally do when we're diving into the Charlotte's Creative Podcast, you know, we just had this big event upstairs here at the Gambrell Center, you know, pouring out tons of energy into the crowd. And so sometimes it makes sense to kind of like reinvigorate ourselves, get the synopsis firing again. So I'm going to ask you kind of a lightning round of, of personal questions. And uh, just the first thing that comes to your mind, don't overthink these. This is just meant to get the get your energy up again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Don't overthink. Don't it's overthink. the story of my life. Yeah, don't overthink. Oh, welcome to the club. No, <laughs> I, I feel the exact same way. All right, so let's just dive right in. Jay Ward, what is your hometown? Rich Square, North Carolina. Where is that? Exactly. That's, that's, the, <laughs> that's, that's the response that most people have. Although I will share something funny with you before I tell you where it's at. Um, uh, someone came up to me from the audience uh, before the show and was like, you're Jay Ward. You're from Rich Square, North Carolina. I'm from Rich Square, North Carolina. My dad wasn't able to come, but he's from Rich Square, North Carolina, blah, blah, blah. You know? And it's very seldom that I meet anybody that's ever even heard of Rich Square, let alone from there. So it was, it was great. No kidding. Um, it's in eastern North Carolina okay. in Northampton County, which is just below the Virginia state line. If you're familiar, this is how I tell people where I'm from. Um, if you know Rocky Mount, sure. then I'm 45 minutes northeast of Rocky Mount. And if you know Roanoke Rapids, I'm about 20 minutes Got from it. Roanoke Rapids. Yeah, I, I had a feeling you were going to mention Rocky Mount because when you're starting to you know, give me the 
the, the coordinates there, I was like, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I kind of have an idea of the problem. Right. And then you triangulate further. You're like, it's just past the cow field and like two <laughs> streets down <laughs> from the corn. Uh, so anyway. All right. Well, so what is Ridgefield known for? Ridge Square is... Ridge, squ Ridge Square. What is Ridge Square known for? Rich. Like, like opposite of uh, poor. Like Rich Square. Let me, let me ask the question one more time. Yeah. Because I want to get this right. What is Rich Square known for? It's, it's, it's the county seat of Northampton County. It is like, so it's the, it's the biggest town uh, square, you know, square mileage. Uh, but, you know, population is less than a thousand. If that gives you a, yeah. you know, an idea of like the rural area that I grew up in. There's not like a culinary dish or a historical event or anything like that sort of happened in, in, in Rich Square. No, but in Northampton County, uh, if you're familiar with the story of George Moses Horton, mm -hmm. uh, he was uh, enslaved in Northampton County. Uh, his owner moved to Chatham County, and he became the first uh, African-American poet to uh, release a book of poetry while still enslaved. Um, and actually, there's, there's a rich lore about George Moses Horton at the University of Chapel Hill. You're kidding me. So you, as a poet yourself, you must feel a connection in some way to... I, I feel an absolute connection, and I didn't even know about him until I, three years ago. It was the first time I knew about George Moses Horton. So That's amazing. You know, it's funny. I uh, Sort of related, but probably not. My, my wife is from Rhode Island, and I had never been to Rhode Island um, ever in my life until I met her. And then I would go to visit her family and that sort of thing. Turns out, my family's from Rhode Island. Oh. That uh, you know, and so it's it's just interesting when you start to learn about the place that you're from, and you get to dive deeper. Yeah, um, it's just it's fascinating. Um, sort of the revelations that are just waiting for you right under right underneath our noses. Yeah, you know, for sure. So, all right. So, did you have a nickname as a kid? Uh, yes. So, uh, I don't know if this is a southern thing or a rural southern thing or just like a my family thing, but uh, we had. Everybody had tons of nicknames. My father had about seven. Uh, but yeah, I was Jaybird. Jaybird. Growing up. Also, oh, he's writing this down. This oh, is yeah, not I'm good. writing this down. He's cataloging this for future Absolutely. use. Jaybird. Um, that was probably the one, you know, through most of elementary and middle school. Uh, but but Jay is actually a nickname because my government name is Junius. Junius, yeah. So so Jay was my nickname, really. I kind of love Jaybird as a nickname. Yeah. At first, it rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Um, did you did you like that nickname? Were you uh, so, accepting so of it? I was accepting of it until middle school because in middle school I started to see myself. At, you know, it's puberty. I'm I'm yeah. pretending that I'm grown up or whatever. <laughs> and you know, my dad was very um, like he was very playful with the name. Yeah. You know, because we got along really well. So he was like Jay Bird, Jay Bird. Like this is how he would call me as I entered the room. And he middle school he started doing it around. I didn't care in elementary school. It was fun. Sure. You know, my dad's calling me cool names. Yeah. But in middle school, you know, he walks into a <laughs> into the auditorium during an assembly and he's calling me that. And, you know, my friends are looking around and, you know, I'm a I'm a jerk little kid, you know, like we all are. Uh, and so I had this whole conversation where I asked him to, to stop calling me Jaybird. Oh, really? Yeah, I did. And he and was the one that came up with the nickname. Yeah, he was the one that came up with it. And, you know, looking back, it's kind of a heartbreaking moment, really, because I could see in his face like he. he it fell. It was that yeah. moment. It was that moment where like, okay, you're starting to spend more time in your room. Yeah. You're closing the doors. You don't want me to call. You don't want me to call you what I normally call you. Yeah. So like this whole adolescence thing, looking back, I, I wish I could replay some things, you know. Um, you, you touched on your dad in the talk today. I know I'm veering uh, off of our lightning round suddenly, but 
we'll get back to it. Um, but, uh, you know, you talked about being in the hospital room with him and holding his hand. You actually started and ended your, your talk with that moment. Did, did Jaybird cross your field of vision in your mind during those moments with, with your dad? No, because I don't want 400 people saying, Jay Bird, when I walk out of the auditorium. <laughs> you want to re- re- reignite that, right. uh, that nickname. Wow, okay. But I do like it, I must say. Um, Jay, what was the first movie you remember seeing in the theater? The first movie I remember is Star Wars in, at a drive-thru. You know, not oh, a yeah, drive-in. Yeah, drive-in. Yeah, at a drive-in theater. So it wasn't new. It hadn't just came out. But we went to a drive-in theater and and saw um, a new hope. Did did you did you love that um, the experience of seeing a drive-in movie? Because that's not a common thing. But I also have early early memories of drive-in movies, and it's very sort of nostalgic for me. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. My memories of it are wonderful. And then I, I went to one recently, and it was it was good. But like the the old adult in me is like, oh, I gotta go through all this parking. Oh, I gotta wait behind these cars. Oh, there's too many people in the, the line for food. Oh, the comm speaker doesn't work as well as I thought it would. You know, it's, you know I'd <laughs> rather be on my couch because I'm that old guy now. But <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but nostalgic wise, yeah, I love driving theaters. What is the first album that you bought, like with your own money? Yeah, um, man, this is that's a good question. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, I'm gonna say Big Daddy Kane, but I don't remember which album it was. Got it. Yeah. Mine was Huey Lewis Sports, I think. Mm. Just to give you the uh, you know the counterbalance to your your uh, your choice there. Um, you're a self self proclaimed nerd. Right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so what's your sci-fi franchise of choice? Is it is it Star Wars? Yeah, of choice, Star Wars. Why? Why is that? Why? Why is it's, that your your? your it's probably the nostalgia. It's also like the sci-fi fantasy element. Um, it's the it's the story. But like, I have different needs for sci-fi. Um, the Star Wars franchise, uh, as a whole, is my favorite franchise. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things that might make some folks mad, like because this might be sacrilege to some folks. But uh, for a Star Wars fan to say, uh, I recognize that the Harry Potter uh, overall franchise is probably top, not probably, top to bottom, it's better told. Mm. Uh, and the movies top to bottom are better. Yeah. Uh, same thing for things like, uh, like Game of Thrones and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's top to bottom, the story is just told better. Uh, and I think that's just because, you know, the, the story was broken up in certain ways, and, and George Lucas told some of the story, and other people told some of the story, and there's a different director for every movie. There's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of pain points there for, for the story to go through. Yeah. But anyway, short answer. I, I apologize. This is supposed to be lightning round, and I am definitely sabotaging lightning round. No, it is it's okay. Like, I've veered off myself. Okay. It, it's, it's totally fine. Um, all right. Back to the – see, if Tim was here, you know, folks that listen to the Charlotte's Great Podcast would know that Tim Miner, my co-conspirator, is normally with us. But he got double booked this morning. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm sort of like trying to, trying to carry the weight of two guys here. What are you going to do? Um, how do you take your coffee? Black. See, now that's a lightning yeah, round yeah, answer bam, for bam. you right there. That's a lightning round answer. Do you always put your clothes on the same way? Uh, no. So you mix it up. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes it's pants first. Sometimes it's uh, shirt first. Sometimes yep. it's socks first. Yep. Just depends how you're feeling. Um, how do you psych yourself up for something? Like maybe it's maybe it's you're about to go on stage, or maybe you're about to go into some. 
I don't know, some other experience or, or interaction? Like, how do you psych yourself up? Um, I, I listen to music on the way. It doesn't really matter what the music is. So I listen to music on, to, on the way to where I'm going. Uh, I will try to over-prepare and then use the music as a way to not think about anything nice. until I get there. And then I will run the very first line of whatever it is I'm supposed to say, and I will run the very last line of whatever it is I'm supposed to say to make sure that even if I zone out during certain moments, that I can be present for the opening and the closing. Wow, I was not expecting that sort of precise of an answer, but hmm. you really do have a very specific process I for psyching yourself up for something. Um, and I, as someone who's done you know, a decent amount of, of public speaking, um, it speaks to me, right? Because that's not my process. I might want to try that, but like I also over prepare. Um, but then the idea that you over prepare and then you go done, I'm going to like, let this music wash over me. I'm going to remember what my sort of bookends are for my talk yeah, and then just dive into it. Like that to me is super courageous. Like I, <laughs> I don't know if I would have <laughs> the ability to, to approach it that way personally. So, um, but I've seen you time and time again, deliver long passages of, of, um, of, of poetry live in front of an audience without missing a beat. And so this process clearly works for you. It's time tested. Hmm. So hope so. Incredible. Yeah. Um, how do you get over writer's block as a writer? Um, I don't acknowledge writer's block. I don't, I don't believe in it. And I don't, um, I don't know. I don't acknowledge it. If I'm having trouble, uh, writing something, then I just keep writing. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep going. Just keep swimming. All right, who's your favorite Charlotte Hornet of all time? Oh, oh, uh, man, uh, Muggsy. It's got to be Muggsy, yeah. right? Yeah. It's got to be Muggsy. And then L Larry behind, behind Muggsy. You Larry? Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, good choices. All right, that's the end of the lightning round, folks. Uh, good job. Yeah, yeah thank you. I usually, I'm usually not really good at lightning round. You were good, and we, we kind of bent the rules on lightning round. I you bent know? them, and I apologize. I didn't say, like, uh, three words only. I didn't say that. Yeah. It's just like, you know, let's just have a conversation. So let's let's open the scope a little wider now. Tell me a little bit about your childhood, like hobbies and interests. Was it poetry? Was it writing? Or was it something completely different? And that came into your uh, sort of field of, of vision later. It was it was in so many stages. I think from most of elementary school, I was convinced that I was going to be a comedian. And then when I gave that dream up, I was convinced I was going to be a professional scuba diver. I had no idea how I'd make money from that, but that was going to be my thing. I was going to be like an oceanographer slash yeah. scuba diver, you know, slash Jacques Cousteau. Yeah, like a marine biologist yeah, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, in, in, in the latter part of elementary school, I was introduced to the Harlem Renaissance. I started writing poetry. At that time, the rap, the hip-hop, this is my old man speaking, was starting to... You're going to have the in front of anything. <laughs> exactly. And you sound like old man. Uh, was starting to, you know, to gain traction uh, in my sphere anyway so then so from middle school through high school I was convinced I was going to be uh, a rapper mm. um, and then you were going to do the rapping I was going to do the rapping yeah, thing yeah. yeah and then when I got to um, when I got to college my uh, creative writing professor uh, was like you need to do something with this mm. right yeah. and so like anybody else who heard that the first thing I did was put that away for 10-15 years and didn't touch writing so your at professor all. saw the spark in yeah. you and said you need to do this and your reaction was bushel yeah exactly classic yeah yeah no classic jaybird yeah. right there yeah, see <laughs> if i know jaybird that's jaybird that's jaybird's move <laughs> so you put it away yeah yeah I did. so then what, what what 
took up your time then? What were you? What were you your know, diversions? Family, yeah. uh, life, bills. Um, you know, I moved from North Carolina to the Maryland D.C. area for about 13 years, um, and you know, it was around that time, at the end of the 13 years, I started. I, I was really going through withdrawals. I just didn't know what the withdrawals were. Mm-hmm. I really, I was like, man, there's. I'm missing something. I have to do something. Yeah. And I literally, I started collecting stamps. Oh my gosh! Right, that is so exciting. The oldest man <laughs> hobby I could possibly think of. Right. Maybe next to coins. Yeah. Well, yes. You, did so, you collect coins yes. too? Yes. So stamps didn't work, and then I moved to coins. What do you mean stamps didn't work? It How didn't did work stamp- for me. It just just wasn't. It wasn't, wasn't lightning lighting you up. There was an itch, and I was trying to scratch it with whatever you know, whatever old married guys <laughs> fill their time with. <laughs> coins so, and stamps. stamps. I did not see this coming. Yeah. So. Um, a friend invited me to uh, this poetry club that they had started, and we sat around and we listened to each other's poetry and we wrote poetry. And uh, and how I'll, old are you at this time? Like, oh, this was oh man, I was probably I was probably in my twenties. I was probably like mid twenties. Okay, late, so a few years 20s. have gone by since college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let me see. No, this had to be this had to be late twenties, possibly early thirties, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was sitting in this round with these other writers, and I said, "This is what it was. This mm-hmm. is it." I need, I need to be writing. So from that point on, I started writing. I wasn't performing at all. I was just writing um, and sharing and writing and sharing. And it, it, it just awakened in me like, yes, this is what you're supposed to be doing. So you, you set the coins and the stamps aside and, and you start writing. And you say you're sharing them, but you're not, sh- you're not performing yet. So no. how are you sharing it? You're saying, here, read this. I wrote this. Would, you know, let I mean, me know I'll read think. it. Like other, other people would You'll read, read it, but, it, but not in a performative sort of a way. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't know how to perform. I think at this time I had seen um, Deaf Poetry Jam yeah. and things like that. So I was, I was enamored of what they do, but I, wouldn't, I, was, I was never at that point going to consider myself a spoken word artist. I was just a writer. Because yeah. um, I also tried, I also wrote, uh, this might, you might find this interesting. I have four notebooks where I started four novels, and one novel is eight chapters in, one novel is four chapters in, and the other two are, are two chapters in. And are they are, are they similar in any way? Or are they all like very different? They're different. They're stories. different storylines yeah. uh, that you know didn't get fulfilled and haven't gone anywhere because I put that aside, like Jay Bird tends to do. Um, <laughs> Man, that Jay Bird, that guy, Jay Bird. Um, so, so you are reading them, but you're reading them inside sort of the safety of a kind of a writer's group. It yeah. sounds like, yeah. yeah. So at some point, there had to be a crack in the dome, right, where mm-hmm. you were like. All right, I'm going to read one of my things outside of the safety of this supportive cocoon, I would hope. You yeah. know? Um, what was that like? What was the first time reading, in, reading one of your pieces or performing one of your pieces in front of an audience? What, what was that? And what was it like? My first reading uh, in front of a live audience was in D.C. Mm-hmm. I went to an open mic. And, and it was all spoken word artists. And they were, they were going at it. And so I was starting to get feeling smaller and smaller in the room as it was my turn to read. But I read my, my work, and it was a very, very, very good response. Yeah. Uh, so I felt, I felt really energized by it. Um, and that was right before I moved to Charlotte. So then I moved to Charlotte and found Blues mm-hmm. uh, and, and Danny Cook, uh, and they were like, go to, go to Wine Up, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was a legendary spot in Noda, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, go to Wine Up. So I go there, and I'm thinking – 
this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to this open mic spot where all these spoken word artists are, and I'm going to learn through osmosis, like, how to perform. I'm going to mm -hmm. watch them. I'm going to imitate my, them, and I'm going to teach myself how to perform so that I can read my work better, because yeah. I, I self-published a book when I, when I moved here. Um, and then I went there to perform, I mean, to, to read, and not only was the energy amazing, but I found out over time that I would learn much, much more about writing. Mm. I learned a lot about performance, but I learned much, much more about writing. Mm. But to, the short answer to your question was it was very energizing. Like th those first couple times of, of having the audience there and feeling their energy and feeling the lull of yeah. when you know something's not connecting, but then feeling that high vibration when, when things are connecting, it was surreal. Wow. Yeah. And so, and, and did you feel like that was the vibe that you were getting like second time and the third time? Like, was it just building on itself or was it like great first experience and like not so great second experience? It was all of that. Yeah. Cause I, cause I, I experiment a lot and sometimes those experiments don't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, sometimes, but that's part of my editing process actually. Sure. So when I, when I share with an audience, I'm, I'm monitoring the energy that I feel coming back and I'm watching people. Yeah. I'm watching people look at their watches <laughs> or, yeah. or, or look sure. at their phone or whatever and I'm watching people be totally engrossed and I'm just making mental notes of, all right, the next time I do this, here's the changes I need to make. Yeah, and in those early days, are you, are you reading the pieces or have you committed them to memory when you're performing them? In the early days, I was definitely reading, but, but as I spent more time at Wine Up and more time around spoken word artists, um, it's, it's hard to command people's attention reading uh it's possible but it's hard so um i would i then started making it a, a point of memorizing this and, and trying yeah. to get it out there yeah i was gonna say like at some point you i mean i was sort of assuming okay i read a piece and edit it and i read it and i edit it until a point where i feel like it's quote unquote done and then i'll commit it to memory correct um uh, but uh, i mean i've seen you perform so many pieces from memory and it always blows me away. And I've spent a lot of time in the theater. Like I, you know, I, I, I know people that can memorize long passages, monologues, or long pages of dialogue. Um, uh, but, but to get up there on stage and just, you have no one to, to riff off of. You're up there in isolation performing a piece. Um, what is, can you describe the, the feeling? Is it invigorating or is it like, oh shit, I don't have, uh, I, there's no net underneath me. There's no mm. one here to save me if I go up. You know, and is it so? What is it like to be up there delivering something from memory? Um, I would say invigorating and terrifying at the same time. Yes, yes. But um, you know, for me, so I'm I'm a I'm an introvert, and I am super quiet by nature, um, and very shy. And what happens is, if I'm having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody, I'm I'm I might be okay. But if I'm in a group of people, even if those people aren't part of the conversation. I get really withdrawn. Mm. And the problem with me in conversation is I don't always know what I'm going to say or what they're going to say. And I don't feel like I'm in control and I start to shrink and I, I won't talk unless spoken to in a lot of situations. But when I'm on stage, I'm in control. Mm -hmm. So when I'm on stage, I've already decided, like, if I've memorized a piece, I know everything I'm going to say. I kind of know how everybody's going to respond. And so I feel like I'm in control. I can have this conversation. I can you know, feel alive in front of this space with this audience. Um, and it feels completely different to me than like maybe just seeing somebody in a hallway and trying to figure out how to not make the conversation awkward and how to try to make the conversation end before the other person realizes that I'm about to make it really awkward. You know, that is, um, I totally get that. Like it's, it's not in your control. These are mo moving targets and elements that you, 
you have no control over it, quite frankly. So I, I sort of get the uh, confidence that you might get from saying, hey, I'm up here by myself. I know this piece. Um, I've spent enough time with it that, uh, you know, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Um, you hang out with a lot of uh, fellow poets and slam poets. You, uh, Charlotte has a, uh, you know, a rising scene of, oh, yeah. of this talent. And we can touch on that, too. But do you find that the majority of poets that you know are also introverted like you? Or is it just a wide mix of like introverts and extroverts and everyone in the middle? It's, so, it's such a wide mix. I, I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day. Um, when you say something like, um, oh, well, you know, it's poets. <laughs> and mm. that can apply to so many things that conflict with each other. Um, some poets are really, really out there and wild. And yeah. you say, yeah, you know, he's a poet. You know how they are. <laughs> uh, and then some poets are, are more like me and more quiet and just kind of hang on the, on the wall. And you're like, yeah, he's, don't worry. He's a poet. You know how those guys are. <laughs> you know, how, how, how are the people going to be dressed tonight? I mean, you know, it's poets. You know how they are. <laughs> it, it just runs the, the whole gamut. you turn to stay in touch with the city around you. Broadcast news isn't what it used to be, and commercial radio doesn't scratch that itch. If only there was one place you could get it all, when you want, wherever you want, on your schedule, there is the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city on your schedule at queencitypodcastnetwork.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. So there's not a quality that necessarily makes a great poet or a slam poet, or maybe there is, but it wouldn't be like they're extroverted or they're introverted. There is there some other quality that you've found that runs through poets that you respect? I, I think the quality that runs through the poets I respect is just the idea of pushing boundaries. Mm. And that's diff that's different for different people, like what those boundaries might be, but like really pushing themselves in the work and really being creative and not settling for doing what everybody else is doing or doing something that they that they know might work and sacrifice that to do something that they want to do to like push the art. And yeah. I, I think those folks are the ones that I generally am drawn to. Um, I would imagine that's one of the reasons that you were invited to be the first Poet Laureate of Charlotte is because you step into that role of challenging and boundary pushing with, with all of your work. For, that's my experience of your work anyway. Do you think that that... Um, for that to be part of your MO is part of the reason you were identified as the first poet laureate of our city? I, I would hope so. I also think, like in my in the back of my mind, I also think that it was one of these roll the dice things. Mm -hmm. um, there were five finalists for the position. Mm -hmm. and you probably knew them all. I knew them all. You yeah, knew them all. Yeah, and, and I know that I know that they all would have done and will do, because you know, there'll be a poet laureate after me, uh, will do great things with the position. We'd all do things probably a little differently, but all things that would really benefit the community. So um, I'm super excited to be the first Poet Laureate because that means that there's more coming after me. You yeah. know, April of 2024, the next Poet Laureate will take over and, you know, no doubt have initiatives that are going to be really great for the city. So what would you say is the role of the Poet Laureate um, in our city? But also, if you want to go higher than that, like what's the role of poets in our society? Yeah. So, I mean, poets in our society have always been on the leading edge of change and revolution mm -hmm. um, and all the things that that art does. But poets have have been very vocal and, and at the forefront. And I think a poet laureate, 
I think the role is not necessarily to do that, but because they're a poet, I think they have to. They mm -hmm. still have to. But I think the role of a poet laureate is is to be the ambassador for poetry in that city or region or state. And that that looks different to different people. But I think the one thing that is the same is having a genuine care and concern for consumers of poetry and mm -hmm. new consumers of poetry and for poets, whether that's on the literary landscape or on the, you know, traditional performance landscape, yeah. um, providing opportunities for those poets and then providing opportunities for new consumers of poetry to kind of grow the art and to grow the audience and fan base for the art. So it sounds like what I'm hearing you say is that the, one of the main roles is really advocating for the art form, for those both practicing the art form, but then also for, for fans of it or folks who... Um, you know, want to know more about it. Yeah. So, so there is a role that is specific to the art form itself. On the flip side of that, is there also a role about simply wielding the art form to deliver messages or move or inspire or challenge people in our society? So Absolutely. It's, so it is. So it's both. It's about the art form, but it's also about what can you do with the art form to impact our community. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, that's the work I see you doing out there. For well, sure. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, who do you think should be the next poet laureate? Or are you not ooh, gonna say I ooh. go on record? No, you so first of all, I have already given you ammunition by giving you this whole Jaybird thing that's gonna spread <laughs> like wildfire across the city. And now who, you want me to Who to does Jaybird think should be anointed <laughs> as the next poet laureate of Charlotte? I, I will say this, we have a lot of good options out there. And what I what yeah. I learned when I became poet laureate, I think I knew I think I knew this already, but what I learned for sure after becoming poet laureate is there's really no difference between me now and me then. The only difference is I feel like I've been granted power, mm. but I haven't, right? It's just a title with not much power behind it. And what that tells me is that the other finalists were already doing this work, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Before the opportunity came to become Poet Laureate. I was already doing this work before becoming Poet Laureate. So the next Poet Laureate um, likely will already be doing this work. They're mm. already in the community. They're already acting as ambassadors. They're already pushing the art. Um, and so when the appointment comes, it will just be about who is willing to serve. Mm -hmm. that, that's really what it's about. I, I don't think any poet laureate of any jurisdiction or region would say that they are the best poet in that region. Right? Yeah. I don't think yeah. any, you know, so being a poet laureate is not about being the best. Mm. Of, of the best writer or the best performer. It's about being willing to serve. Yeah. Like you have to have some, some baseline, right, of, of, of what you've achieved and, and how good you are in the art or whatever, quote unquote. Um, but the real measuring factor after that baseline is, are you willing to serve and have you already shown that you can serve? Yeah. Would you, do, would you have a piece of advice for the next Poet Laureate when that person steps into that role? Um. Yeah, I, I think my advice would be don't ask for permission, you know, ask for forgiveness, yeah. just go. Because I think we, we spend a lot of time waiting for uh, someone to offer funds or we waiting for someone to say, hey, can you do this at this place? Mm -hmm. I, I would say step in and start running. Yeah. You know, go, go find the things that you want to do. Go find the things that need to be done and then find partners that will help you do it. Which, by the way, shout out to Charlotte's Creative because you all were some of the first you know, to answer that call to help me do uh, some pretty significant things, I think, in the city. So I, I appreciate Charlotte is creative 
uh, for that as well, and and all the arts organizations that have been you know really willing to yeah, work with me. Yeah, it's it's our honor. Uh, it, it's it truly is. Um, you know, I don't want to step over before we we wrap the the, the interview. I, I don't want to step over this morning's amazing talk that you gave at mm-hmm. Creative Mornings. Um, you know, you you took on this theme of touch. Um, and I always think about this podcast as almost being like a companion piece to the video that Charlotte Star Room uh, captured and that we'll put out. The podcast will come out first, but then, you know, we'll release the video of your talk um, uh, in a few weeks. And when if you weren't in the room, you'll see when you watch the video that um, you brought a piece of technology onto the podium with you. And that, uh, among other things, anytime the word touch came up, you would hit a pad so that you weren't saying the word touch. It was a pre-recorded, your voice Mm pre-recorded that said the word touch. No one in eight years of doing these these monthly gatherings, these monthly talks, no one has has done a a move like that, you know, where they incorporated that sort of piece of technology and sort of weaved it into their uh, their presentation. So, First of all, I thought it was brilliant, and I and you were able to bring in music too, you know Kendrick Lamar and some other stuff. So that was really beautiful. But what I was what I really loved was the way you you went into this conversation, this theme of touch, which was actually focusing more on the space in between. Mm-hmm. It was it was it's to me it felt more about um, the uh, you know you know, it's, it literally is right before you're about to touch that. What does that space in between mean? Yeah. Um, and you, you dove into it in art, you, you know, visual art, um, you know, film and TV, Game of Thrones, uh, you know, music, Kendrick Lamar. Um, so you, you showed examples of this throughout. It was a really sort of, um, so I thought just masterful, uh, talk mm. to dive into a theme like that. Was it a hard talk for you to write or did it flow out of you fairly easily? Um, so I, I think I had kind of thought on it for a while and I was incorporating things that I had just kind of just happened. Like I had just listened to a podcast um, about uh, Kendrick Lamar and, and they were narrowing down like the top song that Kendrick Lamar ever wrote. And Sing About Me, I'm Dying of Thirst ended up being number two mm. uh, in that podcast. So I, I, I'd listened to the breakdown of the song um, the visual, the visual of creation of Adam of Michelangelo, when you told me that the theme was touched, that was that visual dro- jumped in my mind immediately. Yeah. Because I've always thought about that that kind of space between, uh, and then I started thinking how all these things kind of okay, this this relates. And then um, my fiance and I just finished binge watching Game of Thrones for the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, as you were like, we were doing that as you were asking about touch, and. There was that moment when everybody came on the screen and we're like, oh, yeah, you don't you don't see this again. Mm. Uh, So my mind automatically started making these connections. um, And, you know, I wanted it to be different. I I think (laughs) I think everything I do, I try to make it different. So I know people know me as a performance poet. uh, So, you know, I could have performed poems or I could have been a little bit more performative uh, than I was on the stage. But then that's what people expected. So I wanted to do something like a little different. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Those those ideas kind of started cobbling together, and you know, I woke up this morning really like, oh man, I, I hope this works. <laughs> oh, it worked. I can assure you, it worked. Um, and I, I love the fact that you did sort of span a variety of disciplines in your examples of, um, you know, the family in Game of Thrones, the 
first and last time you see them together is in that opening episode. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the way that the different parts of the Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar song, um, you know, that there's actually a space in between those sections and that that creates a tension as well, you yeah. know, and it, it raises a lot of questions in the same way that the Michelangelo piece raises a lot of questions. Are they coming together or are they moving apart? You know, you, you raise so many questions that I think people in the audience may or may not have ever, ever actually considered before. Um, and where it landed for me was when you said, and you were talking to the creatives in the audience, and you mm. were saying, you know, how does, how does this resonate with you as an artist? You know, how can you touch, you know, touch people um, with, with the gifts that you were put on this planet, you know, to, uh, to do? So um, what was it like to sort of deliver a message like that to a room full of people who may be earlier on in their journey? I mean, you, we just talked about your journey. You remember back in a time when you were collecting stamps? Jaybird, yeah, you know, right. it's like, uh, you know, so you're speaking to people in the audience who are probably in their stamp collecting moment in their life. And now you're, you're challenging them as mm. the poet laureate does. You're saying, you know, think about a theme like touch. How are you here to touch folks? Was that, um, I don't know. How was it? What, what was it like for you to deliver a message like that to, to the audience? Uh, super scary. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm scared because I'm doing something that I, in a way that I don't normally do it. So I'm scared. But um, but also like it's it's really inspiring for me. Um, I I almost took this assignment as a craft talk, mm-hmm. um, where I could point to an element of craft that could be used across disciplines, mm-hmm. and say you know you can apply this in your craft, but also try to abstract that and say how do you also apply this in your life? Um, so lofty goals for myself, but you know it it felt good to say it. It felt good to share it. Um, and you know, I, I hope people were touched. Where's my where's my where's my roadcaster? Yeah, I know. I people were. You were <laughs> <laughs> supposed to hit the pad, right? Uh, they were. I mean, judging from the standing ovation that you got, you may not have seen it because you ran backstage. But, I ran uh, backstage in the wrong direction from where I was supposed to go. I was supposed <laughs> to go down the stairs, and instead, typical I Jaybird, typical Jaybird, that guy going going off stage in the wrong direction. Uh, <laughs> but no, they the crowd. You touched them um, deeply. Um, in the same way that, you know, your words have, have touched me uh, many times over the years. And so it's been a true uh, just honor to call you a, a friend and a collaborator. And it was a, a real privilege to have you here uh, to, to touch all of those folks in, uh, in, the, in the audience this morning. Um, is there, any, as we wrap up here, is there, is there some truth that sh- you think Charlotte needs to hear right now? Oh man, see, this is, I'm I'm not good at these. There's so many truths, <laughs> so many truths. Charlotte's need, Charlotte. Needs I know, to hear. and you've spoken to many of them in your, in your words over the years. You know. Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess f- this is for creatives, or for Charlotte, or for city leadership, or for just a person that's that's on their couch listening to a podcast. Um, care enough, mm. uh, and 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 take that in whatever way that applies for you, um, whether that's in relationships or whether that is in uh, city leadership or whether that is in your art um, or whether that is dealing with a very personal problem that is only known to you uh, or whether it has to do with forgiving yourself or whether it has to do with anything, care enough. Yeah. Man, I love that. We have, uh, we have a line in our manifesto that talks about giving a damn. Yeah. You know, and we believe in giving a damn and we believe in pulling people together who give a damn and we believe in working with people who give it, who give a damn. 
And uh, you're one of those people. So thanks for sharing that truth because everyone needs to hear that. And thank you for the gifts that you share with our uh, community each and every day. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. All right. All right. Well, we've made it through another Charlotte's Creative uh, Podcast here on the Queen City Podcast Network. Again, if you did not see Jay Ward's Jay Bird's amazing talk (laughs) at Creative Morning Charlotte, uh, or even if you did see it and you want to relive the magic and power of it, please do uh, check out the video from Charlotte Star Room that will be on our website soon. And until next month, stay creative, everyone. Keep that coffee flowing. And, uh, you know, go out and see Jay Ward as he, as he wields his gifts of words and poetry uh, throughout the Charlotte region. Thank you, man. Thanks so much. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. dot com.